Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am once again honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show imagine, invites you to imagine yourself as the third person sitting in on a private mastermind conversation, capturing those aha moments that can change your trajectory or at least move you a little bit closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. We take you to those places where these mastermind experiences happen. Right now, I'm sitting on my purple couch in my sumptuous apartment in Las Vegas, known to some as the hottest city in America. And I'm joined by my two feline production assistants, Princess Alessandra and Princess Stella. Stella is, in fact, sitting on my lap right now. And if you listen closely, you might be able to hear her purring. Anyway, we're going to discuss something that is seemingly a simple topic but as we're going to discover as we go through our conversation today there are layers to it nuances to it and i believe that you're going to ultimately find yourself discovering some insights that you've not seen up until now and it's about problem solving problem solving in your business finding out what it is um, action plans and accountability, but yeah, problem solving, and we deal with this all the time. So our guest today, who I'm very excited to speak with, is named Tessa Grant. She is the creator of Wonder Biz and Wonder Leader, which are coaching programs that help you show up as the kind of leader you'd want to follow. She helps her clients communicate better, get more buy-in, and feel really great about how they're spending time in their business. They become confident leaders with unstoppable influence, unbeatable stories, and powerful personal brands. So, Casa, come on in. The weather's fine. <laughs> Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm actually in not-so-sunny New Zealand right now. It's the winter here, so okay, uh, quite the contrast that we have. Wow. Okay. So, what we like to do here is I read off the official bio, and this is all very impressive stuff. So much so that I'm not even sure I'm worthy to be here, and this is my show. So uh, what we like to do is, before we get into the main topic, is pull back the curtain and have you tell us something about your journey and how it's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Mm, well, okay. I'll give you as an abridged version as I can. Um, uh, so to start out, I grew up on a ranch in Montana. So very rural, uh, you know, old cowboys sitting around telling stories, shooting the shit basically. And, yeah. uh, you know, so that alone has kind of set us as such a, a stage for me. That's I think a different than a lot of people have. Um, and, and also an entrepreneurial mindset to be perfectly honest. I mean, if you're a rancher, you're running your own business and probably your family has been for generations. So, um, lived there, uh, grew up there and then moved out to California and lived in the Bay Area on and off for quite a few years. Um, and I went to college there and became a teacher. Uh, and then I became a, an adventure travel bus driver. So I um, drove trips with these custom coaches, like they're big 40-foot uh, coaches, all over the U.S. and Mexico and uh, parts of Canada. So I did that on and off for a couple of years, moved to Prague for a while. Uh, so I lived in Prague for about a year. And then I uh, went back to grad school and started working in Antarctica after I finished grad school. So I was down at McMurdo Station on and off for about five years total, like three and a half years of my life total, but it's contract work. So it's cyclical, but uh, lived down there for quite a while. That's where I met my partner. He's a, a New Zealander, a Kiwi. And uh, and then we moved to New Zealand after we decided to finish working on the ice they call Antarctica. And so it's been kind of a, uh, a journey. <laughs> but 
uh, started my own business when I moved to New Zealand and got really into business because I, I think of business as kind of another adventure. I mean, maybe I'm a little more stationary than I used to be, but it's still a lot of that kind of enterprising spirit and that sense of we don't know what's going to happen. We're going to find out. We're going to do our best when we get there, if that makes sense. So part of my messaging is around offbeat leaders, people who are maybe a little bit like me. They didn't follow some kind of, uh, you know, I'm doing air quotes, traditional path to leadership, but they yeah. find themselves really enjoying it and understanding that um, the richness of your experience actually really helps you lead much more than if you had followed, again, air quotes, traditional, a traditional leadership path, getting an MBA, doing all these kinds of things, knowing that you were going to be a leader all the time. Uh, I never, ever thought, oh, I'm going to be a leader, but I always got put in leadership positions. And so it's helping people step into that and really own it in a way, even if you're just leading yourself, honestly, I talk about a lot about self-leadership because if we can't lead ourselves, we certainly can't lead other people. And a lot of us don't think of it that way. We just think of, I mean, I'm not trying to give people like schizophrenia or something, but you know, how do you want to be and how are you going to lead yourself to that thing? That's number one in, in leading anything. So um, yeah, that's, that's part of my focus as well. So does that make sense? That's that's interesting. Self-leadership. I've never heard that term before. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think it's really important because if you well, so like I said, if you are telling you, you you have a thought and you believe the thought, depending on who you are and what you want to re reinforce in your identity. Right. If you decide if you take a second and go, "Ooh, do I believe that thought or do I not believe that thought? That's when you actually start to, that's the first step of self-leadership, right? Then from the thoughts come the stories, right? Well, I'm good at this. I'm bad at that. Uh, my mom always said that I'm fill in the blank oversensitive or, you know, has a low tolerance to pain. These might be things my mom said, said about me, but do I believe that story, right? What stories do I want to set based on my, my thoughts? And that is where all of this starts in my opinion. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what I want to do now is, first of all, uh, get into this problem solving thing. But before I mm. point that out, uh, is 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 there a continent you haven't lived on yet? Um, I haven't really <laughs> lived in Africa. Yeah. That's yeah. Um, or I, I, I've traveled South America, but I don't know if I, I mean, we were only there for like six weeks. So I don't know if you could count that as living either. But um well, yeah. So I've lived on four <laughs> and worked on four. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So as far as, uh, okay, first of all, why do we need to discuss problem solving today? Well, I think there's a couple of things around problem solving and part of it is how you perceive a problem, right? So first, one of the biggest things that I see is that people will perceive a problem a certain way based on what I was just talking about, stories, identity, uh, lenses of perception, that kind of thing. And they think the problem is caused by a certain thing. And then they try to yeah. solve that certain thing and then it doesn't solve the problem. Does that, I mean, I'm sure you've had, I mean, I'm speaking very abstractly, but uh, for example, I had a client recently who we were working on a problem. She thought that her, her employees weren't giving her enough feedback. And I totally get that. Like you need certain amounts of feedback. Right. Right. When right. we, when we started digging into the problem though, it became pretty obvious that it was actually a tool set problem. She was thinking of it as being more of a, uh, maybe a skill set on her part or on their part, but, but it was really more about, she just didn't have a system in place. She didn't have a project management tool that gave regular updates that, I mean, they were updating in certain, like, I think they were running things out of a word doc, honestly, like, which I'm not trying to shame anybody, but you know, right. if you don't have those automated systems in place or those things that are going to make things easier, sometimes a problem looks different than it is. And so she's beating herself up thinking, oh, I'm, I'm not good enough as a leader, or I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not cut out for this. And then we start to look at it and go, wait a minute, this is literally just a process tools issue. Set this yeah. process up, put this tool in place there's your problem solved, right? Whereas she could have gone down that path of, I need to develop my leadership capabilities. And, and I will encourage everyone to do that anyway, but right. you know, beating herself up about, I'm a bad communicator. I need to be a better communicator. And it's like, yeah, that's probably good, but here's also an issue here, right? And this is actually probably what's causing the problem. And it solved the problem. So does that make sense? Well, yeah. And I, and I think what's very important there is how we 
bifurcated the issues and then found out what was actually, shall we say, the root of the problem. Now, as far as project management systems, uh, I tend to be a fan of them. I actually have a project management system I use just for myself that nobody else participates in because mm -hmm. uh, basically what it achieves for me is it allows me to adjust deliverables in real time and also not use my email inbox as a to-do list, which is very important to me that I don't do that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I find that when it comes to project management systems that, uh, that uh, really there are three things you're looking for when you're selecting which one to use. Uh, first of all, that it meets your, your, your organization's goals where they are right now. And that it meets where you believe you're going to be within six months to a year. And most mm -hmm. of all, that it's fun. Yeah. Because if it's not fun, people aren't going to do it. And then next thing you know, your employees, or your contractors, or what have you, will just refuse to participate and then very quickly make it a choice as to whether or not you want them to support your business at all. Mm, yeah. And I think part of it being fun, though, is that it has to make sense. Oh, and yeah. I think that I mean, and this is this is what you were saying. It doesn't make sense with the organization as a whole, too. But um, is it something that's relatively easy to get? Is it something that that makes that you can see progress with? Is it something that also feels satisfying? I mean, for me, that's a big one. Like, can I check my yeah. little boxes every day? <laughs> um, that's that's a, a big one for me. And I, and I yeah, I applaud you for doing that because it's I do that, too. I, I think that it's important to. I call it mise en it's basically mise en place. Do you know uh cooking, like French cooking, or well it doesn't have to be French cooking, but the, the idea of mise en place, I think I'm saying it wrong. But this whole idea of when chefs are preparing for their uh cooking activities, they're gonna have they're always gonna put their knife in the same place. They're always gonna put their chopped onions in the same place, they're always gonna put their um, you know. Uh, grater in the same place. And so then when yeah. it's go time and when things are really flying. You know exactly where everything is. And that's part of with this with this tool aspect of it, this tool set is how do you help people know exactly where things are so that you're not running into other problems that are really gonna create bigger problems, et cetera. And then they become very hard to untangle too. So I'm not saying that every yeah. single problem is a is a systems problem or a tool set problem, but I will say, like, especially with a lot of my clients, a lot of some of the time that is really the root of it, and it's just not obvious. So um again it doesn't it seems a little bit too simple but it really it can make a big difference for a lot of people right uh so what if there's really not a problem to be solved let me give you an example mm. of this uh a, cli a client of mine years ago used to format his own weekly e-newsletter mm -hmm. the subject line was always basically the same uh, where it had his name and then the title of the newsletter and then some phrase explaining what the theme of that particular edition was going to be. Mm -hmm. The subject line always started with the letter D. So you know how it is when you haven't cleared your cache and you go to the same field you filled out before and you type the first letter, it pulls mm -hmm. up what was there before. And, uh, and, and, one, and once you see it, you're supposed to be able to click on it once and it automatically populates the, you, you know what I mean? Uh, yes. Well, he he forgot he forgot to click the second time, so he ended up sending out an email with the lowercase d as a subject line. Oh, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so what essentially happened is he ended up getting almost three times his normal open rate because that was such a pattern interrupt for him in particular, and he ended up getting three new clients off that one email funny yeah so what do we see way too often in organizations like oh god forbid that the that an email goes out to the list with uh with a a typo or a broken link uh mm. what what do, you, what do you see is and, and i'm asking you from your perspective how how do you see people react to this a lot yeah i mean it i think it depends on the organization and how mature right. they are to be perfectly honest because when I've worked with kind of younger businesses who, um, and, and also, well, okay. I'm thinking about a lot of different varieties of businesses to be honest, but yeah. Um, with a smaller business that maybe isn't as confident as they're in their brand, they might freak out 
you know, that, that would be a, free, a cause for freak out, even though it yeah. brought really great outcomes, it sounds like. So uh-huh. um, that's that's oh, my God, people are going to think we're Bush League. We're gonna, they're going to think we're, you know, horrible at what we do and we can't be trusted and da, 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 da. Whereas actually, I feel like it actually it's a really good rapport builder because what it does is it shows people that a you're human and b yeah. you don't take yourself too seriously. Like, yes, we need to take ourselves seriously. But do we need to like perfectionism is a whole other subject, but people get caught in perfectionism because they want to, um, well, procrastinate. First of all, it's, it's, I think it's an excuse to not really show up fully. And when you show up with a few mistakes here and there, that is you showing up authentically and, and fully. So I think that appeals to people in a lot of ways. I don't think that you should strive for uh, a ton of typos or, you know, no broken links. However, right. I do think, and I've had this experience too, mm. like, I, and I think the more you start doing this stuff too, the more, the easier it is to kind of go, well, okay, whoops, next. Like you just, yeah, it's a thing that happened. I'm not going to beat myself up over it. I'm going to pay better attention, move on, you know, whereas someone who's a little more a struggling with maybe confidence or at, at a more immature stage of business it becomes a big, big deal. And then what ends up happening, and this is actually where you would create more problems, is that these companies will start to create systems that are built on edge cases, like what you just described. And then they start to create these really behemoth systems that don't make sense. And then they aren't fun. And then people don't do that, follow that process anyway. So Uh what I mean by that is, is, you know, if you, let's say in your friend's example, then the protocol became like a checklist that you had to look at every time, which isn't bad in and of itself. But then the checklist gets longer and longer and longer based on one mistake that somebody made once years ago. It, you know, again, it creates more problems. It wastes a lot of time. It's not really uh, format formulated for the most of the time situations. And I think that's part of what we want to be focusing on, too, is accepting that we are going to make little mistakes and just moving on. Well, I've said for years that most rules and regulations are permanent overreactions to short-term blips on the radar. Agree. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't think they solve problems. I think they create more problems than, than anything else. And I, and yeah. I've, and I've seen examples of this working uh, way back in the day with clients where uh, I think, uh, I think a link was broken in some email they sent out or something. So they, uh, so they had three meetings on the topic and mm-hmm. then created this whole process where any communication that went out had to be reviewed by four people before it could go. Yeah, I see that a lot. And then yeah. that, and, and so that's what I might, you know, it basically hamstrings these companies. They're not able to be agile. They're not able to really respond to market, um, agile. They're, they're not. Are, are, are you going to say lean next? No, no, no. I'm just but I'm saying agile <laughs> yeah. in the actual, you know, yeah. meaning of the word, which is right. they cannot respond quickly. They just can't because they again, four people are looking at this. And, and guess what? That's not the only thing these four people are looking at. Right. So yeah. you just get the you create these bottlenecks that are completely unnecessary. And again, at the same time, more frustration with your employees, too. Um, I will say with some problems, of course, I think that there needs to be some kind of evaluation matrix. It depends on how people want yeah. to think about this. But you know, what is the potential impact of a problem versus the input we're going to be putting in to try to mitigate creating that problem? So for example, like, yeah, what you were saying, the broken link, I mean, it depends on the kind of link, clearly, if it's like a major sales page or a major push, that could be a problem. But Uh um, if it's just like a link to our new free resource or whatever, just send out an apology email and that's that, right? So um yeah, you have to be able to have the nuance and the, and I think that's where we've lost some of this as well, is this kind of let's idiot proof it for anybody (laughs) who might mess it up versus let's do it for the average employee that we have who is going to make mistakes here and there. How can we help them be successful in a way that doesn't feel demeaning or condescending or cumbersome? Well, hold that thought, and then we're going to move on to the next topic. But I want to share one counterexample of this. Uh, with one of our clients, maybe this is about three years ago, they were doing a joint event with somebody else. Now, my client, part of their job was to build out the web page to promote the event. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, a week before that web page was due to be up, 
the partner went and sent an email to their list, including the URL for for that mm. website that was going to be put up, even though the website wasn't up yet. Oh boy. Okay. So naturally my client asked them, what do okay, well, we weren't scheduled to have this site up for another week. And you know what their partner told them? Check this out. They said, Oh, yeah, I fully aware of that. And I'm absolutely certain that when the site's due to be up, it's going to be a fantastic site. I just didn't want to wait. So if anybody contacts you saying the link is broken, just send them to me. I'll I'll sell them for you. Oh, that's brutal, especially with partnership. I, I mean, you know, this is, <laughs> yeah, this is going to depend on. This is why vetting your partners is really, really important. I that mean, was that, uh, that was uh, savage in a way. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, on, on on the other hand, imagine having the fortitude to knowingly send out a link to something that doesn't exist and then say, oh, that's okay. If they, if they complain, just send them to me. I'll, I'll, I'll close them on the phone. It's not just fortitude to me. That's foolhardiness, you know, because again, (laughs) you're, you're breaking the trust. You're not able, like if, if you say, and again, there is, there's degrees to this. I'm glad we're talking yeah. about the shows of this. Well, but- okay, well, Cass, so before you finish, I will tell you that there was day drinking involved in this whole thing. <laughs> okay, well, this is definitely yeah. making the picture clearer, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and this is the thing. It's like, you know, we want to have that sense of if stuff, if stuff gets messed up, here's how I'll manage it. Here's how I'll handle it. But to this point, like I said, if it's for every person that contacted them angrily, first of all, who's doing the effort of doing that, you've got another person like you've got, oh, no, sorry, not just another, you've got like 10 people like me who are like, oh, broken link, not even paying any attention to these guys anymore. Yeah. I'm, I'm out. Right. And so this, I mean, this is classic conversion bouncing. And I mean, I was a copywriter for many years. So, you know, again, these things need to work. However, beating yourself up and that kind of thing. What I would have done in that instance is sent an apology email out to that list saying, actually, the website's not up for another week. Please don't panic. Sorry about that. You know, just be honest. There's nothing wrong with being honest, especially if you messed up. And like I said, a lot of times people are very like, oh, okay, I've Mm -hmm. done that before. You're going to have a much warmer audience looking at that webpage when it's ready than you will if you keep sending them broken links for like a week. Well, yeah, and my overall belief about this is if it's just a couple mistakes a year, you're better off just absorbing them. Agree. Yeah. Absolutely. If it starts to become a chronic thing, then yeah. you need to begin to delve into this. Uh, hey, remember, I mean, you, you remember when we used to hear all the time that, you know, these product launches would happen and the uh and the email will go out saying the doors are open and then nine minutes later the next email will go out saying our servers melted from the demand (laughs) i've I've got to tell you i am the only person i know who's involved with a product launch where the servers actually did shut down due to overload Mm. congratulations (laughs) and 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 now and now is now and now is simply because uh over 30 people were attempting to access the web page at the same time. And that was due and uh and due to some of the PHP configurations. If more than 30 people attempted to access that page at the same time, it would shut down. Jeez. That's it's supposed to be some kind of security thing. I don't know. So here, here, here we are. We've got this huge demand. It, it's like it it's even blowing my mind away. And so it's my job to contact the hosting company mm. and they and they want to start asking me questions about well have you read our have you read our manual and uh and do you know how to log into putty it's like no 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 i need you to raise a number now mm. we've got we've got people banging on the door this is our money here yeah i'll read your tutorial later but right now i need you to fix it so where I'm going with this is actually my next point is when it comes to problem solving, what are some of the ways in addition to what we've spoken of where the manner in which it's approached actually creates more problems? Mm. Well, I mean, the example you just gave is fantastic. I mean, essentially, again, having that, evaluation matrix or uh you know a a way of really like being able to understand 
what is the overall importance? What is the value adder here? So that actually is one more exercise that I work with with my clients is how do we always make sure that we're adding value? Because a lot of times that's going to have a domino effect anyway. But, you know, sometimes, and this is the classic Eisenhower matrix of important versus urgent. A lot of times people get caught up in the whole urgent and important area, not realizing that the second, the quadrant two, which is um, not urgent, but important, will actually get pushed over to urgent and important very quickly and be very, very stressful if you don't make space for it regularly, right? So if you are choosing to focus on problems always that are urgent, you're never going to be able to focus on those true value adders. Um, And so if if you can start to distinguish what are those key value adders and then what are the things that are actually going to move the needle within them, that's when you can start to really make progress. And again, like I said, a lot of times that stuff isn't necessarily really obvious, or even if it is obvious, it's hard to really prioritize it because it doesn't seem as important because it's not urgent. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it makes it makes dollars and cents actually. Well, pretty much literally. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so I guess. What was I? What was I going to say here? You'll have to forgive me. I'm a little bit off kilter today. I uh, I'm actually a little under the weather, but I'm dedicated to uh, uh, to to getting this whole point out. So the next couple questions I'm going to have for you may seem like they're kind of scattershot here, but mm-hmm. it's a lot of different threads that come together when we cover this overall topic. So mm-hmm. you mentioned the idea of an offbeat leader. Mm-hmm. So, uh, who is this phantom and why is this an important area to focus on? Well, I mean, for me, the offbeat, I mean, I'm an offbeat leader. So I think, you know, I described that a little bit earlier in terms of somebody who, you know, like I said, maybe didn't get an MBA, maybe didn't yeah. think of themselves as I'm going on the leadership track. I mean, I actually don't really know who this person is. I'm thinking of like kids from eighties movies, maybe, or something, but, um, you know, it's somebody who found themselves in, in a leadership role, and that might be running their own business. It might be uh, a director level, uh, a, a, um, a VP level, et cetera, who has kind of a funky background, right? Like maybe they traveled a lot. Maybe they did a lot of different things and and were able to kind of bring it all together in this very um, rich way. And that that is why I think it's important to really accept and, and, and enjoy being an offbeat leader, because a lot of times... What goes hand in hand with the offbeat leader is the imposter syndrome, right? And so, yeah, um, there's a, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff about imposter syndrome, but you know, one of the main things around it is this idea of, oh, I'm, they're going to find out I'm a fraud. And so, what uh-huh. I could, what I really encourage my clients to do if they're offbeat leaders or somebody who, yeah, just feels like I'm a little bit funkier, or you know, how can I lead from a place of sharing enough of myself to where I'm not oversharing. You don't want to be that person who's just constantly like listening to their own voice, but where I can really show up with my background, where I can talk about my time working in Antarctica without feeling self-conscious or they're not going to get it. I mean, there's a lot of things that, you know, for example, like, so for example, my time working in Antarctica, I think only like 50,000 people have ever even been to Antarctica, let alone worked there. Right. Yeah. So when I first left the ice, I thought, Oh, that doesn't really apply to a lot of people. I don't need, I shouldn't be talking about that, <clears throat> even though it's interesting to people. But what I realized was that <laughs> I was working in a huge government bureaucracy um, with smaller departments in a very extreme environment where you cannot choose your own. Um, like I wasn't hiring my employees. I was, so I was kind of put with people, which was fine, uh-huh. but you know, I didn't really have a lot of recourse around um discipline or i mean i did but to a degree but not not in the way that you want like i couldn't say i'm not hiring you back next year if you don't get it together right it was i had to really figure out how to lead with the carrot which i think is the way to lead anyway right but yeah those those types of stories are universal right and so you know depending on what kind of role or or excitement or adventure you've had before you're going to find the stories within that that are universal that people do get it's just that it happens to be in a slightly different setting than what they might be able to um relate like that they've yeah they haven't been to antarctica but they can get what what it's like to have an employee who 
isn't listening to you or however you want to talk about it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So with the offbeat leader, helping them with imposter syndrome starts with really understanding their values and their vision and their purpose so that they know really where to like where they're leading from and letting go of all the coulds, shoulds and woulds, you know, because I don't know. I mean, again, I'd love to meet somebody who can do every single thing there is in the whole wide world. right? So we have to just start letting go of some of these possibilities and that's fine. Um, And helping them really understand how the interpretation of the way that they're looking at things is creating this idea of imposter syndrome, right? Like if I say, if I walk into a room and I'm the only woman in there, which happens very often, um, I can interpret that as I have to be really hard and stand really strong and, and really be, I mean, ballsy or whatever you want to call it. I can also interpret it as um, I have to be really quiet. I have to, um, you know, kowtow to what other people's opinions are, or I can interpret it as there's a bunch of other people in this room. Here I am too. I'm curious, right? There's so many interpretations that you can have. And imposter syndrome is one interpretation that I think is gaining, not only is gaining popularity, but I think that people are starting to notice it more because I think partly because there's so much information out there, we start to realize just how little we actually do know, which is totally fine. And we don't need to know everything. How can we? Yeah. But we expect that we should. And it's the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? Like the people who know actually know more uh, know how little they know. And so then they start to feel like an imposter. Whereas like a lot of times the people who don't really know much at all, think that every like they're just trucking along so if you have imposter syndrome, uh, yeah. to me that's like an indication that you're actually probably doing fine you just have to deal with not letting the imposter syndrome make uh influence you into making choices that are not in your best favor does that make that so yeah that's kind of a long explanation but yeah, That's well, what- actually, I think actually, I think you bring up a really, really good point. You mentioned the Dunning Kruger effect, and I have found this <laughs> so often, uh, and even within myself to a degree, that I I see so many folks who allow themselves to be weighed down by the imposter syndrome, the feeling of not being good enough, and then meanwhile they get uh, they get dog walked around the market by people who really. <laughs> really have very little in the way of talent or skill, but they have confidence that they know everything. Right. Exactly. And so I don't want people to fake it till they make it. I actually don't believe in that because essentially you're still kind of lying to yourself. I think what fake it till you make it is trying to get at is get out there and do stuff, you know, yeah, (laughs) just try. Right. I think getting out there, yeah, getting out there and doing stuff is good. I totally agree. And I, and I get that that's what kind of the, I think that's what the Mm. premise behind that is. However, if you constantly feel like you're faking it, that is you creating more of an identity of a fraud, right? That's you building evidence that you're a fraud. Whereas if you can start to think about, well, it can, you can do it with a bunch of different ways. I actually use archetypes a lot for this. Um, So are you familiar with archetypes? Uh, Tell us about it. So it's basically this idea that there are story themes throughout humanity that really connect with a lot of people. So if I say somebody is, uh, she's friendly, she lives in the house over there, and uh, you know I feel really comfortable with her, that's like, okay, cool. But if I say girl next door, you know exactly what that means. And so it's, I, I don't want to get them conflated with, with stereotypes because they're more about the mother. They're, they're universal, right? And people have an understanding of them immediately instead of having to describe it, right? So what I help my clients do is build an archetype of themselves. So if if so mine can be called kick-ass cast, or I might I have some other ones, but like yeah. when I was teaching, when I was a high school teacher, I used to watch a lot of Judge Judy. Um partly because I really love Judge Judy, but partly because I had no idea who I was as a teacher. I was like 23 when I started teaching high school. I didn't know who Miss Grant was. I was so freaked out. Yeah. And so I I was kind of borrowing from Judge Judy's um, what I would call candor and also sense of humor to create this persona of Miss Grant. Right. And so what would Judge Judy do? OK, I don't need to say a lot of sassy things or whatever, but she would be firm, but fair. Right. And that was what I was going for in that persona. I didn't know I was doing it at the time. 
but that was actually what I was doing. So it can be through mentors. It can be through famous people. It can be through um, just a version of yourself where you're like really going for it. And you're like, yeah, walking on sunshine, you know, like you're just really, everything Uh is, is happening the way you want. So you're not making decisions based from that fearful imposter syndrome person. You're making decisions based from, well, what would I, what would kick-ass cast do? Or how can I look at it in this, this way? And it becomes very easy to answer those questions actually, when you start to shift it from that. So again, that's a tool I use with my clients a lot of like, well, what would this archetypal version of you do? This version of you that's powerful, strong, confident, you know, excited about life, et cetera. Would they be asking the same questions? Would they be looking at it in the same way? Would they be answering those questions the same way? And oftentimes, yeah, people know exactly what that archetype would be doing. And that's that's not faking it to me. That's actually yeah. creating from the future rather than creating from the past. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I I pretty much agree with all of that. And I love how we apply this archetype thing because yeah, we've all heard the fake it till you make it thing. And uh, you know, I I've never made it that way. Mm. Yeah, because it just builds more evidence that you're a fraud right? You're constantly going, oh, that's not true. I mean, the brain is really interesting. You know, there's a lot of, there's like the classic, I mean, I'm a really big fan of NLP. I use NLP a lot. And thinking about how our, I call it lizard brain, like our most primitive brain is trained, our subconscious mind. The sky is is awesome. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. it can't think in negatives, right? I say, don't think of a pink elephant. You're going to think of a pink elephant immediately, right? Because you don't, yeah. the brain doesn't hear the don't. So when you're doing things like I'm so great, your brain is going, no, you're not. Who, what makes you think that? Like, why would you, your brain is going to find evidence to the contrary. Um, I like doing something called affirmations. There's a great book about this. Uh, and it's basically posing questions so that your brain has to build evidence to the contrary. So and it has to be something that is believable. So if I say, okay, why is it so easy for me to communicate in an open way with my employees, right? If you really believe, okay, I don't communicate openly, you know, it could be start to communicate openly with my employees, right? You start to build it in the same way you would build an affirmation. But what the brain does, instead of fighting it, of like, I communicate with my employees openly, like the brain's like, no, you don't. I've seen you yesterday, you did this, da 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 like your brain will just start to make a laundry list. It, with the affirmation, your brain can go, well, so why is it so easy for me to communicate openly? Your brain is forced to answer you with evidence. Oh, yeah. I saw you do this yesterday. So yeah, that was really easy. Oh, it is really easy to sit down and just have, have them give me the reports that I asked for and just asking and, and asking them curious questions. And your brain starts to actually really help you build evidence instead of with fake it till you make it, where your brain is going, oh, see, again, you're lying. You're faking it your brain is it's smart and dumb <laughs> yeah. it's all about figuring out ways to trick your brain in in, in a way that's going to really help you so um those are i those are just some techniques that i use with my clients but i think that it's important for everyone to to understand so like i said if if you have to use fake it till you make it just to get started by all means knock yourself out but if it's just because you feel like you are not good enough and you have to keep faking that's a whole other can of worms yeah certainly so uh why should i i mean i think i think that the next thing that we want to look at is the types of skill sets that leaders have and why should leaders take the time to invest in their soft skills or those of their employees i mean this whole thing of problem solving is really uh when i use think of the term softening i think of reducing resistance. Mm, Yeah, that's a great, yes, I totally agree. That's a great image. And I think that the thing of it is, is this, is like, well, I believe everyone has the capability and capacity to get better at whatever, right? It doesn't necessarily mean you need to get better at that. Do I need to be good at quantum physics? Probably not. Um, But for things like what you're talking about with um, improving their soft skills within their, with their employees, and within themselves. First of all, the question is, can you afford not to, frankly? I mean, I see so many uh, workplace dramas that get created because of just the stupidest stuff, honestly. I mean, I know that sounds terrible, but you're just like, 
how old are we? Why is this even a thing? Because people are uh-huh. operating on the template that they had when they grew up, uh, teachers, family, etc. And they really don't have the skills to pull themselves out, them pull themselves out of that. And they become hard. As you say, there's this hardening of, I have to be this. I have to defend myself. I have to be in this way. Right. And I'm not saying that's the case for everyone, but they just don't know how to move themselves out of that, especially if they didn't have great mentors growing up. Um, So some of the skills that I really focus on with my clients, especially in the leadership realm, are understanding different leadership styles. So are you an autocratic leader? Do as I say, like, we're doing this, you're doing that, da, 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 like that's, and to be fair, that has its place. Let's be honest. It's just that if you're doing it all the time, people are just like, oh God, you know, like it's, it's not fun. It's not interesting. You're going to lose people. Uh, Democrat, democratic style where, you know, you're really taking in everyone's input, making sure that everyone feels heard and then making a decision from there all the way to laissez-faire where, you know, there's basically seven big ones, but laissez-faire is kind of the end of that spectrum, um, which is you you know that everybody has what they need to do the thing. And so you just let them do their thing, right? This is with a very high skill, high trust team. Um, and that is the best way to lead that type of team. But if you don't understand leadership styles at all, you're really going to struggle with the different people on your team because different it, you need different styles at different times. And different people will respond differently to those styles, right? So I'm not saying that you need to tailor every yeah. single interaction with every single employee, but just understanding like, ooh, this person hates autocratic. I have to be really careful about making sure that they feel heard, helping them, not necessarily think it was their own idea, but getting their buy-in in a different way than what I would necessarily do. So what's my what's my default leadership style and how do I tailor that based on the situation, the employee, this, and whatever else is going on. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, it does. So that's one of the big skills I think that is important to focus on. One of the other ones is just, I mean, people call it vulnerability. I don't think, I mean, I guess it is vulnerability. To me, it's just curiosity. This, the softening. What's, I don't know what's happening. How do I find out? And a lot of times, I'm not saying that you have to approach every single situation that way, because then you would, I mean, you just wouldn't be somebody who's a rock for other people if you're constantly yeah. like, what's going on? But really having that attitude of openness is something, because I, where I see a lot of leaders get into trouble is that they make a lot of assumptions based on, you know, previous experiences, like what we were talking about before with oh, this one thing happened bad this one time. And so now I have to be wary of that. And they forget to be open and that creates more problems than it needed to, for sure. Um, So all of that comes down to communication. It comes down to clear delegation and again, systems, processes. So a lot of times people just don't really have the toolbox to delegate well. I mean, essentially, I mean, that's, that's one of the biggest ones. They really cannot see where they could actually give their work to other people or work that needs to get done, but not by them to other people. They honestly don't know how to describe it in a way that's going to get them the results that they want. And they don't know how to, this is, and how not to do it in the way that's going to, so if I say to you, oh, I, Adam, could you please, um, you know, record this podcast for me, but I don't want you to do it this, this, and this way. Like a lot of people don't do that and, or, and explain why. And then they are, are like, oh, no, I didn't tell, you know, they, they don't even think I didn't tell them to do it. It's just like they did it exactly how I didn't want it done, <laughs> but yeah. they didn't actually tell them how they didn't want it done. And so that's one of the huge things. And then that follow through. I mean, honestly, this is where most people really, really struggle because they don't follow through and then they don't aren't able to reprioritize. So they keep piling things onto people and then they get really pissed off because they're like, well, where's that thing? And it's like, well. The, and the employee doesn't have the skills or the emotional inter- maturity to go when they get new things, say, well, what do you want me to do with this original project? And so the employee is just getting piled on, piled on, piled on. Nothing's really getting measurable progress. And then the boss gets really frustrated. So understanding relative priorities while you're doing those checkups is super duper important. And a lot of people just don't do that. And so then, and then they're frustrated and then their employees are frustrated. So 
it creates this cycle um, that's completely unnecessary. And again, that is a skill set um, and a process tool set issue. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Um, so I know that you have several different coaching programs and uh, that all seem to have the word, I believe, wonder in them. Can you, I'm just curious about that in the time we have left here. Tell us a bit about how you put all that together. Ah, that's a great question. So um, yes, so wonder is in there. I mean, actually it kind of came from my nickname in Antarctica was Wonder Woman. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, not because I was wearing a little tight onesie all the time, but because uh, I was just really good at driving. And that was, we had a really hard season one year. So it was like, we'll get Wonder Woman to do it. So anyway, um, that was part of the inspiration. But the other part was, again, that curiosity. I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder what I'm going to learn from this. I wonder that real sense of awe in the most cheesy of ways. And I know that a lot of them can, it can sound like Wonder Bread, of course, but it is that 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 sense of awe like leadership is something that will you will learn so much about yourself from like you go in and try to get better because you want to help people but it really will crack you wide open and help you learn things about yourself that you probably wouldn't learn on your own right so how do you keep that sense of wonder so that you can actually take those lessons and and turn them into wisdom right and that is what that's why that is the um the precursor for all of my programs is because I really want that sense of wonder to be imbued throughout. And also there's that superhero aspect of it too, that archetype of like wonder leader, right? Like I, I, I'm, I'm rocking it, right? Like I'm that wonder leader. And I know that it's cheesy, but I do want my clients to show up with that sense of kind of fun and irreverence and um, good. Like I think of like the old Batman episodes from the sixties, where it's just so much like the, the Riddler's wearing his goofy little, it's just so goofy and, but fun. And you're still getting this sense of purpose. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly does. It certainly does. So um, really, uh, you know, we're pretty much at the top of the hour here. So uh, I, uh, wanted to sort of turn this over to you just one more time. And for anybody who would like to engage with you further, uh, tell us just a little bit more about um, how it is you're actually, how it is you're actually of service and how people can begin that process. Mm, great question. Yeah. So uh, I do two main things. Uh, actually, I'm kind of branching into another, but, but, coaching, individual coaching, right? So depending on the client, which program would be appropriate for them. Um, the, my programs are like, they have a curriculum, but they're not cookie cutter because I want each client to get the maximum from it. So that is, um, there's some customizable elements to each one. And then um, consulting, I work with companies to help them do, I basically what I call brand integration, but it can be um, anything from, group coaching for um like like say you've got emerging a group of emerging leaders i do group coaching for them depending on what yeah. you see as the main issues helping them deal and actually a lot of that is client led but i have curriculum from that too is um so that you know the things that come up a lot conflict delegation um understanding how to communicate well all of those things we go we work with that and then we work at it in a small group so that they can really learn from each other but also um you're maximizing your uh, training dollars, basically. Uh, the other thing that I do with those companies is can be consulting in terms of processes. So if if, if companies are, they come to me, if they're like, our sales process, we don't even know what's going on with it. Can you come in and take a look? And I'm just basically doing interviews. I'm pulling together reports. I'm figuring out like, what is going on here? What are the next steps based on what I've heard from people? And again, I'm not necessarily, I don't need to be the expert in this I just need to gather that information and start asking some very pointed questions. So that can be for sales, um, sometimes brand, oh, definitely branding, um, yeah. sometimes operations. So those kinds of areas. Um, business systems. So if, if they're having, if again, we were talking about well, what is that problem? We don't even know what the problem is. That can be a really interesting uh, and fun thing to get into. So yeah, again, depends on the, the on the company. And then the third thing I'm getting into now is speaking. I really, um, I started working with a local company here and they um, 
started getting speaking gigs for me. It was great. It just kind of started falling out of the blue. So I've been speaking on time management and imposter syndrome, neurodiversity, branding, those kinds of things that I already talk about in my coaching. So that's been really fun, actually. I'm sure that you've probably done something similar and yeah, enjoyed it. So that that kind of came out of the blue, but I'm like, ooh, okay, I like it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so I really appreciate the time you spent with us today. And this has given me a few things to think about for myself, particularly the archetype thing. Mm. Uh, has been, I mean, I've heard of archetypes before, but uh, the way you presented it to me and to our audience is something that's different from how I've seen it up until now. So that in particular is very interesting. Nice. And I do have an exercise. I was actually a, a co-author for a book called Activate Your Life 3 a couple of years ago. And there's an exercise yep. in there for how to um, find your archetype and how to work with your archetype. And I will say, I have to give credit to Todd Herman. He wrote a really great book called The Alter Ego Effect. It's very in, it's very in depth and it's a full book around you figure out your enemies and your villain. I mean, your villains and this kind of thing. Mine is much simpler, but there, I, you know, it's definitely inspired by a part of what he did. The other way that um, I love to interact with people is on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn and um, love to see people there. And I also create a weekly newsletter called um, the Saturday success story. And I focus on the branding leadership and confidence. Cause I think that they're all really intertwined. So each week we'll have a different, very actionable. Um, I mean, some people tell me that it's the most valuable email list that they're on just to toot my own horn, yeah. but they, but trying to make it really valuable for people and help them create more success for themselves, basically. Absolutely. You can, you can sign up for that on my website. It's um, Cassa, C-A-S-S-A grant, G-R-A-N-T.com. And that you can, there's a sign up sheet there. So yeah. Fantastic. All right. Well, Cassa, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. <laughs> hey, thank you, Adam. This is a great, I love your show and I'm really honored to be here. I appreciate it. All right. Very good. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.